welcome to Rewilding Love. This season is with a couple on the brink of divorce. This is episode number 30, an interview with Mavis Karn. I don't think that I've ever worked with couples without teaching them first how to listen. If we're listening to the noise in our head rather than our partner, the relationship is probably not going to feel like there's a ton of intimacy in it and not feel very close. So it's all about trusting that I just need to show up and listen deeply and I have everything at my disposal to articulate myself in the moment. But it's also important to remember that your state of mind is the only one you have any dominion over. To be okay no matter how I'm feeling, that feels even better to me than just going after happiness. I was a single mom of three kids and I had very little and sometimes no money. Nobody could tell me that was just my thinking, except that it was. This incredible piece of biological engineering that is my body, it's kind of set up to have the most optimal human experience. I did used to think I was doing something wrong if I was unhappy or ornery or irritated or whatever. And now I just kind of don't care. You are listening to Rewilding Love with me, Angus Ross. And me, Rohini Ross. Rewilding Love is a podcast about relationships. We believe that love never disappears completely in relationships. It can always be rewilded. Listen in as we speak with our guests about how they share the understanding behind the rewilding metaphor in their work. And how it has helped them in their relationships. Relax and enjoy the show. We're so grateful to have been able to interview Mavis Karn today. We had a wonderful conversation with her, and Mavis has been working as a therapist for over 40 years. She's incredibly masterful in her work. She's a therapist, she's a coach, she's a consultant, and she works from her home in Minneapolis, and she works purely by word of mouth. Yeah, I I feel like words really can't express um, what a global treasure she is. I feel like we need choirs of angels. We need a an orchestra with a very heavy drum roll <laughs> to introduce her, because I think that she's she's one of the greatest teachers out there of this understanding. And I'm always really affected by what she shares and what she brings to the table. But didn't you have a tricky start? I had a, I had a bit of a tricky start. So what happened? Well, I know that I wanted to speak to Mavis, and I suggested her, and you obviously, you know, absolutely, yeah, let's talk to Mavis. So I was a little thrown because typically you always kind of hit the ground running with these interviews. You always have a lot to say, and I'm very good at initiating things. And I feel like you always initiate things. And I got into, I guess, a comfort around you. Have it. <laughs> I got into. I personally got into feeling comfortable about you initiating things. So you threw me when we started, and you looked at me with this obvious expectation that I was going to kick things off. I think I said, "Do you want to kick us off?" You did. <laughs> so that kind of kind of threw me through a bit of a loop. You could have said no. I don't think that would have felt felt very appropriate okay. for me to say no. And um, then I I I kind of had to scramble to sort of. <laughs> I guess, in a way, to sort of say something that was kind of on point and somewhat articulate. 
And I felt like I did a really poor job because I was scrambling and feeling a little bit panicked by that, finding myself in that position. So nevertheless, anything, things kicked off, but then I went into sort of self-judgment about <laughs> how I didn't kick things off very well. But it was kind of cool because then this sort of idea, well, she started to talk about listening. Right. Then I started to become really aware about how I was feeling insecure and, and as a result, not listening mm. and would go back and forth through bouts of insecurity and then having to listen because obviously I'm going to have to listen because it's an interview for goodness sake. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a point where I felt like um, I just became kind of a little bit dumbstruck by the whole experience because... <laughs> I was monitoring myself, <laughs> wanting to go off on these tangents, but also having to listen at the same time. And then I thought it was kind of sort of poetic at the end where, you know, I was able to sort of fess up to that and, and really feel something on that level. Yeah, I noticed that you got emotional. What was it that, that struck you about that? Because there's such a freedom in trusting that wisdom and allowing it to come through. And it feels like so much pressure not to. Like there's a tightness and there's a and there's a fear, like she said. I suddenly got afraid, uh, and that fear kind of kind of immobilized me. I was like a deer in the headlights. I mean, I don't know. We'll listen back, and maybe no one will get a sense that that was my experience. But my internal experience was that I was kind of afraid to speak up. Mm. <laughs> there was this other part of me. <laughs> I have been experimenting with not having caffeine lately yeah and then there was this part of me on one of my tangents like damn i should have had my caffeine it's like i'm not i'm not firing on all cylinders here <laughs> so, what are you drinking if you're not drinking caffeine i'm drinking um your your mushroom your matcha cook mushroom tea <laughs> <laughs> it's a chai tea with mushrooms in it yes so people will think we're microdosing <laughs> that's right so, no wonder you were going off on tangent. That's true. <laughs> we could we could put it. What is it called? Um, mud water. Mud water. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, I, that was just a ridiculous thought to have, but it it did occur to me when I was having my moment of panic. It's like I'm not showing up very well here. I'm not listening, and I'm not articulating myself. But w what's really interesting about that is that you just went into your conditioning about oh my brain's not working properly i totally went which into is that, thought yeah. which yeah. is not true no, your brain absolutely. was working just fine and it doesn't really matter because like like we were talking about like the famous george pransky quote that wisdom is always there twiddling its thumbs waiting for me to shut the hell up <laughs> <laughs> and it will help help me in any way i need in those moments where I just feel like, you know, just let those words flow out of my mouth. And did you get to that point where you were able to just be present and listen? Yeah. I mean, I, in and out. I think we all go in and yeah, out. Yeah, no, I, I think what out. was interesting about this conversation for me, it was kind of, it was, re it was a real um, coaching experience where I got to really kind of, you know, got to work through something real time around me and listening and my thinking. What am I going to listen to? Am I going to listen to the person that's talking or am I going to listen to the chatterbox in my head that's getting consumed by fear? And it was really healing. It was very healing, yeah. And that was the point of emotion for me was when I felt, you know, just feels really good to get that out and have an insight around it. Yeah, that's powerful. And I mean, I can completely relate to that. I, I know that I love to listen because it feels so good to listen, but I can definitely start thinking ahead about, oh, what am I going to ask next? Or 
what direction should this go in? And then I have to bring myself back in the same way. Yeah. And I think that um, that, that has been an issue for, for me for a good portion of my life. That is like for me where it appears and where it's obvious that I'm not listening. It's because I am actually listening. I'm just not listening to you <laughs> or to anyone else other than that voice inside my head. Yeah who's probably getting caught up in, in, in fear. Uh, and in fact, I'm actually listening very well, but I'm listening to the wrong thing. That's right, the wrong channel. The wrong channel. And I think that's really on point in terms of what Mavis was saying, that the first thing when she's working with couples is that she teaches them about is listening. Yeah. And I think about if we're listening to the noise in our head rather than our partner, the relationship is probably not going to feel like there's a ton of intimacy in it and not feel very close. So true, yeah. And it's so simple, and yet it goes such a long way toward building rapport yeah. when we really listen to our true self and our partner, right? Yeah. Rather than the, the noise of the ego. And how much can be worked out from that space when we're really willing to have an open mind and an open heart. Like for me, when I'm listening, my mind and heart naturally open. Yeah, that's lovely. So... Why don't we listen to this episode with an open mind and an open heart? Sounds good to me. I wish I had more opportunities to speak to you, Mavis, because I always love what you have to say. And, and, I, and I always think about that time where you were sharing how when you started... I guess your work as a therapist many moons ago. And I don't even know at that point what the, where we were with, I know that we're, I think we're at the DSM-5 now, and I think, I don't know where it was at that point in time and its evolution. And I remember you saying how when you started, part of it for you was to sort of try to figure out what, uh, what the uh, category in the DSM, whatever it was back then, what label you could give to your to your client so that they could have the insurance pay for it. And that was kind of sort of part of your, I guess, part of your mindset at that point. And you said that the difference between, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is how I heard it, the difference between how you were showing up back then and how you're showing up now in the work you do, that now it's all about focusing on everything that doesn't appear to be like love or words to that effect. And I just thought that was just so beautiful. And, I, and, and, and it just seemed to sort of really speak to what this understanding is pointing to in its essence. And I feel like, you know, if ever I you know, need the services of a therapist at any point in my life, I would like that to be the pointer. So I, I may have heard it and, 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 and just sort of distilled it in something that was perhaps different to what you said. But that's kind of how I heard it. Is, is, is that accurate, I guess, is what I'm going to ask you. Well, the most important thing about whatever it is you heard is what you felt. Right. And uh, I'm assuming, but I'm going to check with you. I'm assuming it felt like the truth. Yes. Yeah. Isn't that interesting that how different truth feels from opinion or attitude or belief or truth is like, ah, uh, yeah. There's nothing more to say. It's just true. Okay. So way back then, 
I thought my job was to find out what was wrong with people and to fix it. I can't believe I ever thought that, that that was anybody's job. But um, that, that, didn't, that didn't feel good, but I didn't know it was because it just wasn't right. It just didn't feel good. So the biggest 180 for me in learning um, about how well we're made is that there isn't anything wrong with us. Um, we just didn't know that. So all the clients that I see and everybody else for that matter, um, there's only one diagnosis. Um, they either know how well they're made or they don't. And if you don't, life is much harder than if you do. Does that make sense? Yeah. So um, my job, my first job, top of the list, is to remember that myself. If I don't start there, nothing's going to work very well. So that's job number one. And the second one is to show people why that's true, why there's nothing wrong with them. But that they're perfectly free to think there is. <laughs> and they're perfectly free to believe there is and to prove to themselves or others that there is but it isn't the truth. And you can tell by how it feels. I think it's that simple. So when people come to you, Mavis, who do think that there's something wrong with them based on how they're feeling, what they're struggling with, how do you go about helping them understand how they're made and seeing what you see? Well, the first, the first order of business always for me is just to listen to them. Just to, have you ever noticed how um, when, you're just, when you're just really deeply listening to them, when, when you have decided to make what they want to get across to you more important than anything that you're thinking, when you've just made that decision, which I think is a really good decision to make on day one, minute one, that in the process of then just really listening to them, they let you know how to talk to them. Hmm. Ever notice that? Mm -hmm. Isn't that interesting? I don't know. I don't know how to explain it other than that, but but it comes to you how to. Uh, begin a conversation. So I, I don't think I ever in my life have ever done it the same way twice. So it isn't that I, that I say, oh, well, then you say this and then you say this and you get the whiteboard out and you explain everything. And I just think it's such an individual thing. Even in, in a big group, it's an individual thing. Because nobody is, nobody is hearing what you're saying exactly the same way as anybody else. So you take that into account 
and you just, uh, you just tell them the truth. And I, I just think it's so interesting that people can hear the truth and feel it. And they can't exactly point to where they're feeling that, but it's a, it's like a, a sigh. It has a kind of a, I knew that. And then we, then we go, well, yeah, but what about that? But <laughs> <laughs> we, we just, we just want, we get busy. I know I certainly did. I, we just get busy trying to make sure that what we think might be an exception might not be, but just in case it is, we want to talk about it. Um, but there are no exceptions. You're not going to come up with something about you that isn't your thinking. It's not going to happen. You're made, you're made of universal intelligent energy otherwise known as the truth. You're just made of that. You can't be made of something else. That's what all, all life is, intelligent energy. You're not some sort of an exception to that. Nothing is an exception to that. I know that's a big bite. I, I understand that because we've, we've spent a lot of time educating ourselves and spending a lot of money going to school and learning stuff because we want to know stuff and we probably have this this uh, uh, kind of hidden agenda about if I just get educated enough I'm not going to have any problems ah interesting about what you're saying about truth um, because I so resonate with that feeling that, that comes forward. I'm getting better at sort of identifying that feeling. A lot of the times for me it comes with a little bit of emotion too. There's a sort of, there's a feeling of ooh, um, I'm home and, and it kind of feels like I really kind of, I kind of want to cry sometimes. I kind of felt like that when you shared that story about your work as a therapist. Um, and there's something interesting about, maybe it's in the education system, I don't know, but there is this sometimes, I've noticed this, uh, this with my clients, is that they're looking for the holes. They're looking for where this conversation doesn't hold water, and yet they know it's the truth. Intuitively, they've got a feeling that this is true. And then there's this sort of analytical, I don't know, analytical part of themselves that takes over. Let's find where this doesn't hold water. Let's find the hole. Let's find where this doesn't uh, make sense. I don't think I have any judgment about that. You know, I've never been too much of a person that if somebody said something, I said, oh, yeah, okay, that's the truth. It's like um, I always wanted to go, well, yeah, but what about this? And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, mm. I think you should, you should find it for yourself. And I'm not asking. Whenever I'm doing doing this work, I'm not. I'm not. It would never occur to me to say, "Take my word for this." Mm -hmm. Just forget everything else. Just I know it. Take my word. For that would I. I can't imagine doing that. Mm -hmm. I. I would 
I would say, don't take my word for it. Try it on for size. Mm. Check it out. See what you find out. I agree. It's healthy for us to allow all of that thinking that naturally comes up. And ultimately, people can only experience truth for themselves. It can't be given to them. It can only be an experiential knowing of truth. It's not an intellectual realization. So we we all come to it in our own way and our own timing of that and to whatever degree we do. I, I know I've had little tastes of it along the way. And and when you were talking about sort of that that big bite that, you know, what you're saying in terms of us all, everything being made up of that universal intelligent energy and, and that is what is. In terms of relationships, what we see is that it's when people forget that that they tend to uh, come up against their insecurities, come up against um, uh, challenges in interpersonal dynamics. And I know that you've had many years working with people, and I'd love to hear um, any thoughts that you have in terms of your experience working with couples or working with people, any kind of relationship, really, and how understanding that we are this universal intelligent energy, how that's helpful in terms of relationship? Well, I don't think that I've ever, um, I'm not sure about this, but I don't, I don't think that I've ever worked with couples without teaching them first how to listen. Um, well, you're a couple, right? Mm-hmm. What happens if you don't listen to each other? Doesn't feel very good. Or even if you think you're listening, but what you're actually doing is listening to your own opinions about what he's saying or she's saying, and, mm-hmm. and you're making your own judgments about why they're saying that. And all. So you're listening to your own mental activity, but you're certainly not listening to him or her. Mm-hmm. There's a videotape now out about a listening class that I did that people can get. I think it's free. I think it's it might be on... Um, Grace Kelly's YouTube. And I will just have them listen to that first. Mm-hmm. For one thing, even if all they got out of it is that they're listening to me better, they'll get more bang for their buck. <laughs> so listening is, is really important, but it's also important to remember that your state of mind is the only one you have any dominion over. Most couples and other relationships too are usually someone's trying to get somebody else to change so that they can feel better. And if that person just wouldn't do this or just would do this, then we'd be fine. And they're trying to convince the other person of that, right? Um, I do want to tell you that has not worked in the history of humanity. (laughs) So it has a really poor record for a technique. And it isn't just Remembering this once, it's always remembering your state of mind comes first in all things, in all things. Let everything go. I I know this sounds hokey, but let everything go that doesn't feel like love and goodwill. It's, uh, it's not affection. 
I don't mean that. It's not a personal affection or a preference or that. It's like, get everything out of the way here. Just and get real friendly with, I don't know. And see what you hear. See what happens. Don't have your self committed to an outcome. Don't concern yourself with an outcome. It's just, Angus, you talked about when you hear the truth, it feels like home. It is home. That's who you are. That's what it feels like when there's nothing going on except who we are. It's the simplest thing in the world. I have no idea why people keep listening to me because it's so simple. I don't understand why everybody isn't going, well, duh. <laughs> I guess I do understand because I didn't, when I first heard it, I, I had the same reactions. And then I went about busy in my head for months because I thought it can't be that simple. It just can't be. I'm not dumb. I would have gotten it if it was that simple. No, that's why I didn't get it, because it's that simple. So all the knots people get themselves tied up in, in relationships, I, can do, I know how to do that. I haven't forgotten. I occasionally tie a knot or two and go, if that person would just quit doing that, I'd be fine. Right? But, um, it feels so awful now. I can't. I can't keep it up for very long. I haven't found an exception. Just be who you really are. Let everything go. That isn't you. And you'll know when you've hit that. You can feel it. Isn't it interesting that that's the answer? And we're going to probably talk for another, what, 45 minutes? <laughs> but that's the answer. Yeah. I, I'm not saying let's not talk for another word. No, no, I hear you. At the end of this, it's going to come back to that. But there's nothing wrong with talking about, well, yeah, but what about, and what, da, 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 da. because people have those questions and it's, completely understandable that they do mm -hmm. i had them too i could i if there was a how many questions can you have about this i think i'd win the prize i i just uh, oh my god i just i was obnoxious <laughs> so um i i get that i get that that we need to say more but in the end we've said it I'm curious, uh, what was one of your biggest yeah buts that came up for you when you came across this understanding? Well, when I came across it, I was a single mom of three kids, and I had very little and sometimes no money. Nobody could tell me that was just my thinking, except that it was. Because even I then, 
because I, I always, when I thought I'd come up with an exception, I always had this question then, well, does everybody in the same circumstance feel exactly the same way all the time about it? And even I couldn't say yes to that. But I still thought, <laughs> yeah, but, but there were lots of times when, when I had, uh, in fact, most of the time when, when I was single and I had three kids and very little money, that I had a blast. I had a lot of fun with them. I, um, I love being a mom. I just, um, I, I didn't always love being a mom. Most of the time I love being a mom. But um, still, when I, when I was worried about my condition, I could from time to time look back on how things turned out and, and they always turned out fine. I just uh, always thought though it was by the skin of my teeth. I just barely made it through that one and then there was another one and then another one. And I just you know, never knew when that wasn't, wasn't gonna work and I was just gonna be a total failure. But I, I didn't get it. And I'd look back and go, oh, yeah, I came out of that one. I, I didn't see the big picture. I didn't see. I was fine. The kids were fine. Life was good. I didn't. I was always waiting for the next disaster. And a disaster was whatever I thought it was that shouldn't happen. It, I was a hard nut to crack, even though the original, it's all about our thinking. I kept, I kept that, but I did a lot of exception hunting and I did a lot of forgetting it. And every once in a while I, I still do, but I can't say that I really forget it anymore. I just, sometimes I just get busy. And that feels really bad because usually I'm not busy because it's such a contrast to not being busy. It takes very little of being off course to feel loud. It's a great reminder. In, in terms of those exceptions that come up for people and, and what came up for you and being able to see actually no, there is no exception to our experience being created via thought, even though there are um, challenging circumstances that people can come up against in life. And I want to be clear, because sometimes people misunderstand that as saying, well, then you should stay in whatever circumstance that you're in, like, say you're in a, an abusive marriage. So I just want to be clear that that's not what you're saying. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's like, and I'm not saying that it's a sin not to be happy. I'm not saying that either. It's, it's like there are so, when I, when I hear, see the news and I see some of the conditions people are in, oh, man, I, I'm, I don't know what I would do. I do not know. I know that I would be lucky to know what I know about thinking if I was in that situation, but that doesn't mean I'd be happy. It does not mean I wouldn't, I wouldn't um, 
you have to really remember what I know, moment to moment to moment, because like the people in the India, the people in Syria, the people, it's like, I, I'll see some, I'll see some pictures of, of rubble and smoke and, and, and see kids playing. Whoa, that's uh, that's tragic and amazing that they have to play. They have to do their playing in conditions like that. But that their playing is like a miracle of of, the, of human engineering. But. It's still everybody in those in those conditions. There is nobody experiencing it the same way as anybody else. But everything is understandable. Everything. I don't care how they get through it. I'm on their side. They're just man. They're heroes. I don't know how well, well I do, but I have a lot of admiration for them. Yeah, it's just seeing the incredible resilience that we have as human beings is, is awe-inspiring. And I think it's a really great point that when we understand where experience comes from, it doesn't mean that we're going to be happy every moment of every day. That's not how it works. And that's not a sin, like you're saying. But it does help us to look toward where we can have fresh thinking and to not look toward all of the thinking that makes a difficult situation even harder to deal with ultimately. In the beginning, when I was learning this, I did used to think I was doing something wrong if I was unhappy or ornery or cranky or irritated or whatever. And now it's, it's really different. I just kind of don't care. You know, I know it's like, ah, oh, well, you know, I'll be smarter again in a minute. So it's like, it's like weather. It's just, um, it's just a mood. And it's, uh, it's kind of nothing. And it'll pass. I, I just don't think it's a big deal. It's not going to make the evening news. Woman in bad mood. <laughs> it's just unimportant. It's important to know it. Like, oh, okay. My brain's lying to me again. But it isn't really important. And that's so freeing. I'll speak for myself because I used to think my moods were important and my feelings were important and I used to spend a lot of time and energy trying to feel a certain way and trying to improve myself because I had a certain mood that seemed to be lasting for too long or I was struggling with insecurity and I didn't want to feel insecure. So what you're saying, again, it's it's so simple. Like, yeah, of course my moods aren't going to be on the news, but in my mind they seemed really important to me. And I thought that what I wanted was more happiness, which I definitely have more happiness in my life now. But what I am so grateful for 
is the inner freedom that I have to be okay no matter how I'm feeling. That feels even better to me than, than just going after happiness. Isn't that cool? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it is so freeing. And it takes so much pressure off because I was spending so much time not, not meaning to be self-absorbed, but I just thought that's what I needed to do to be good enough. That if I didn't do that, then I wasn't going to be good enough. If you think about that, I mean, we would never tell anybody, listen, the thing you want to do if you're in a bad mood is keep thinking about your thinking and try to figure out what you're thinking and why you're thinking it and how long you've been thinking about it. And be sure to tell yourself that you're not a, you're not very smart if you're still, if you're having a bad mood. You just don't know anything. Be sure to do that. That really helps a lot. <laughs> Yeah, there's something quite profound about not caring or I guess for me the way I'm taking that on board and how I look at my life is I think I do care less in those moments where I get caught off and I and I do am I more inclined to not take myself so seriously or my thinking so seriously and there's something about just trusting I guess in this incredible piece of biological engineering that is my body it's kind of set up to have the most optimal human experience. And, and even in what you were saying, I love that image. Well, I mean, in one sense, it's shocking, but another way I love the image of the kids playing in the rubble because that well-being is kind of like their North Star, whether they know it or not. It's kind of happening naturally. So I can get all caught up and all stirred up, but my biology, in a sense, is, is looking for that well-being, even though my mind is going off on some crazy tangent. I think it's fun to know that you can observe yourself making up nonsense. (laughs) You can just watch yourself go crazy. (laughs) Oh, oh my God, look at me. Look at what I'm doing. And even have humor around it. Yeah. And I have started to find myself in that situation. I think there was a moment a few weeks back where I think I got upset with you. Uh, and then I left the room in a half and I think I decided to go and have a shower and under the shower head I had all of this crazy thinking going on but there was this point where I just sort of almost took a step to the to the left or right or whatever and just started to observe what was unfolding for me it was just like pixels on a screen I'm just watching this movie and it's just just where my state of mind is at this moment I don't really have to do anything with it and and it will probably evaporate into thin air in, in due course. Ran it down the shower. <laughs> it's down the plug hole. <laughs> that's right. And I think that's so helpful in relationships. I know how helpful it's been in our relationship where we're able to not take our thinking so seriously on a personal level where I'm spending less energy caught up in my low mood thinking and thinking about Angus when I'm in my low mood thinking, but also understanding that that's the same thing for him. So when Angus, you're in a low mood situation, I have so much uh, less suffering around Angus being in a low mood, even if, you know, you do say something that isn't particularly nice in the moment. I don't feel like a doormat by not reacting to that because I understand, oh, he's just really not feeling great in this moment. He's not himself. And, uh, and it doesn't penetrate 
in the way that it used to penetrate in terms of it feeling really painful if you said something not very kind. Now, much more often, I can see that's a reflection of his state of mind. And so it doesn't impact me personally. And if I'm in a really good place, I might feel kind of be compassionate. <laughs> not always. But it it's it to me, if you had told me this, when I was taking things personally all of the time, I would have felt like you're asking me to be a doormat and to put up with all of his bad behavior. But what I experience now is this feeling of okayness that is independent from how Angus is doing on the emotional level that is empowering rather than being a doormat. Mm -hmm. I always thought if I was going to improve on our divine engineering, I would have a little, little kind of neon sign up here that goes on when you have a bad mood and it says, low mood warning. <laughs> oh, so you just walk around in a low mood, but everybody goes, whoop, I'm out of here. <laughs> that reminds me of those mood rings. I remember as a, yeah. a little girl, we'd buy these mood rings. We could have like a little gemstone on our forehead. <laughs> It shows what mood we're in. And actually, all of us, if we're really, if we're aware, we know when someone's in a low mood. We know. They mm -hmm. might be smiling. They might be saying nice things. But we can feel something. We may not know that we're feeling something, but we can feel it. Mm -hmm. But this would be much more obvious. <laughs> be blinking. <laughs> danger, danger. This forehead is not doing anything anyway. We was in space. We could put something on it. <laughs> yeah. But but you're right, that that feeling, and, and especially in close relationships, it's there's there's a there's an attunement that happens. And so often, you know, thinking of myself in the past, that attunement I used it against myself. I would take it personally, or I would then go into that habit that you were talking about, Mavis, of, oh, if only he were different, then our relationship would be better, which, as you say, only works, you know, only never works 100% of the time has the same impact of, you know, the other person feeling criticized and not appreciated. And, and just having that simplicity of recognizing that, yeah, this isn't pretty what's happening right now, perhaps, but it's just a reflection of state of mind. It's a reflection of thought, and that is going to change. That is going to pass. So much additional suffering gets avoided. If I look at the horrible fights we used to have when we first got together, if we had understood about low moods at those times, they would last the same amount of time they last now. It wasn't that what we were fighting over was more important then and that you know now we have nothing to fight about, is that we just didn't know not to add fuel to the fire. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. So I'd, I would love to know how you would uh, address that issue with, say, a client, because I, I have had numerous instances. I, I, and, you know, and I, I have my way of dealing with it. I'd just be love, I'd love to know how you would respond to it. But when you get to that point where they do have their yeah but in their relationship and, and it is this idea that, yeah, I'm going to be a doormat if they continue to do this and I'm just going to somehow be able to, to, to not take this personally. 
but I would love to know how you address that. It's it's interesting for me to see people who get to that sort of threshold. Yeah, I'll be a doormat, and and then they kind of every they shut up shop and don't want to continue the conversation. Sometimes, I'd love to know how you would address that. Well, what comes to me is um, I I think people don't know that they have a deeper intelligence that has nothing to do with personal um, information. It has nothing to do with education or um, IQs or that there's a, a, a deeper common sense and wisdom. Again, that universal intelligence that we're made of that knows the next right step that knows what's needed for the moment. But we're not going to find it up here. We're not going to find it there. We find it by trusting that it's there and letting what's needed come to us. Not from our brain, come to it. We, we, need, we just need to know that's how we're made. And that, and that deeper intelligence is always on tap. It doesn't go someplace just because of circumstances or what somebody said or the mood you're in. It doesn't go someplace. It's always there. Because it's you. It's who you are. And if, for instance, these these all these Zoom things that I've been able to do during the uh, pandemic, uh, I have n no idea ever what I'm gonna say. I have, I, I don't plan. I don't um, study something. I don't, um, because I'm personally not that smart. <laughs> I, I, I get along, you know, I can drive and do stuff, but um, I'm not dumb, but I'm personally not smart enough to, to give um, a deep and truthful answer to any question. What my true self is, and so is everybody else's. And I have just learn to just trust that implicitly. And I'm not made any different than anybody else. If you know, if you'll even just try it on for size that you may know things you don't even know you know, but they're ready to be known when you need them. And that you are made that way, whether you believe it or not. You are made that way. And you have had instances of that being true, whether you remember them or not. Times when something came to you and you thought, whoa, where'd that come from? That was really smart. Just really glad I thought that. What a, what a relief. But it's not a one and done thing. That's available to you all the time. And it's not, um, 
it's not like this big Fourth of July thing. It's just everyday, common, ordinary wisdom. It's right on the other side of a worry. It's right there. You know, people will say some some things to me sometimes, and I have briefly hurt my feelings about it. Um, that's not a sin either. It's just, I notice it. And uh, most of the time, I just notice it and then see what's next. And what's next almost always is wrapped in compassion. That someone's scared. And um, that's all. There's nothing to do about that. Just listen. But it doesn't mean that I didn't have this knee-jerk little ow. I think those things keep coming up so you can just see them for what they are. You just get to practice. Oh, no, not going there. Let them come. You just get to practice seeing them for what they are. So did that answer your question, Angus? Yeah, absolutely. I kind of love this idea that those things are going to come up. And that's an opportunity to sort of trust in this sort of divine brewery of new thought and possibility yeah. <laughs> where, yeah. where we have everything that we need on tap and we just have to trust that that wisdom will come through. It's always flowing, always available. It's going to, it's going to come. It's going to come anyway. But it doesn't mean that you might ignore it i mean right. you might just plunge ahead down the rabbit hole whatever <laughs> but the point is it's not that it's not that it's there only if you believe in it yeah it's always flowing it, it's kind of like gravity I, mean, it, I don't believe in gravity no oh just don't be jumping off roofs and expect something good to happen so it's like it's just the way we're made and we're made that way whether we believe it or not whether we remember it or not whether somebody can prove we're not we're still made that way I didn't make that up George Pransky, who would say, um, he would talk about the intelligence behind life, kind of sort of s just sitting there in the corner, twiddling its thumbs, waiting for us to get over ourselves. Yeah. Isn't he funny? Yes. Yeah, he's just, he, he just has a great way of saying things. <laughs> and that metaphor of gravity, I think, is, is so ap appropriate because when we understand and have a, a felt sense of who we are, what we're made of, what's available to us in a really practical, ordinary way, 
when we understand that, it makes life easier. Just like when we understand how gravity works, it makes life a whole lot easier and we get yeah. less hurt. Yeah. And when we don't understand how it works, like if I think Angus is responsible for my feelings, if I think circumstances are the problem and that's um, what what needs to be changed in order to feel good enough, or if I think that somehow I'm not made of that intelligence and that I'm not worthy or good enough, then life is a lot more painful based on those misunderstandings. It's supposed to be. Right. So you'll notice. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, getting a rock in your shoe. It's supposed to hurt. So you'll notice. I mean, it could do a lot of damage if you didn't notice it. Mm-hmm. It's really handy that it hurts. It's handy that it hurts when you're misusing your own ability to create your life. We are really made handily. (laughs) It is beautiful. I don't know. I feel like I've had some experiences lately when I love this idea that it is kind of so simple. It's so simple and yet it seems sometimes so impossible to see for people. Um, and even for myself at times, you know, I remember when I started, I first started doing this work and sometimes I feel like I would be paying lip service to this understanding. And then I would be in a situation where the client or someone in a group would just suddenly have a moment of clarity where they just suddenly get it and they see it. <laughs> and I'm kind of like, what, what have you seen? I really wanted to sort of like single them out and like, please tell me, get down on my knees and beg them to tell me what they've seen. And it's just that moment where they've just tapped into truth and and that window has opened. And it is just so simple and it's just a case of just trusting that, you know, that it is kind of like that intelligence sitting in the wings, twiddling its thumbs. It's constantly there, ever flying, always available to us. And yet we go on these, go off on these tangents of thought. Well, it's, it's interesting how, how you said this at first, that it's, the idea that we're made this it's not just an idea and and we we say things like that out of habit like well the idea that this kind of tree should be put here and that it's, it's like well this is one possibility and this is another possibility but then there's this and then there's that and it's like that's not what we're talking about here we're talking about what is Mm. it's what is already it's not just the latest way to look at things yeah gosh really no thank you for 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 pointing that out to me because i realize quite often i'll say like i'll say things like that and on some level that kind of goes against the grain of what i know is true did you feel I didn't, I don't know if I did at that point, but I noticed that a lot. And I have used that exact same term, this idea, and felt like, yeah, it's, it's kind of not an idea, but I haven't known how to articulate it in the moment per se, but it definitely feels like it's, it's going against the grain of what I feel is true. That's great. That's a big thing you just saw. Yeah, no, absolutely. That I have a sort of vernacular that I'm all too familiar with. Well, I do too, and I've had... You know, I catch myself at it sometimes, but 
it's always helpful if somebody points it out to me because it's like just I just said it without thinking about it. Yeah, I'm trying to think now what else I say along those lines, but it's almost like there's some sort of little divine light bulb going off, <laughs> blinking. Yeah. Well, you know what happens when you get, when you fall in love with, like you guys are both really good listeners. The better you get at listening, just um, noticing when you're just listening to your own mental activity, just notice it, because the minute you notice it, you're not. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It's like the minute you notice you're distracted, you're not. Mm-hmm. So if you want to get really, really good at listening, just notice when you're not. <laughs> and everything clears up, and there you are again. And then that's how you catch yourself using phrases or words that don't really reflect what you mean, but you didn't know what else to say. And it it clears up like that. I love that. And there's, it's understandable with our language because most things that we're talking about in our language are subjective. They are ideas. And what we're pointing to can't really be said in a way that doesn't sound subjective, but it it's like, how do you say something isn't other than pointing to it? And as you said at the very beginning, Mavis, like we feel truth, like that's the best recognition of it. We feel it. And as Angus, you mentioned, like often we get welled up and often it, like for me, I feel like my heart feels more open as I'm sitting here listening and speaking with you. I feel really open-hearted and peaceful. Like I notice the state of mind that I'm in just dropping into the space being with you. And, and as you've said in the past, I've heard you say you're a really good pointer to what is true. And that ability to point people to see that for themselves is, I think, just what everybody needs and where healing really comes from for all of us is being able to look to that space within ourselves where we can feel what's true and act from that place in our lives. You didn't start feeling good because you were with me. You started feeling differently because you let go of the noise. I don't make that happen for anybody. Mm-hmm. I'll, take, I'll take credit for walking my talk most of the time. But I don't, I can't take credit for whatever anybody else decides to do or not do. So I know that sounds picky. I, I understand that. But I want, I want people to know that if they're listening to me and they, and they start feeling the way they wish they could feel all the time, it's because what they quit doing. Mm-hmm. They made that happen, and that's portable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wouldn't it be really dumb if the only time people could feel good is if they were with me? <laughs> like, who would make that? You'd make a lot of money, that's for sure. <laughs> oh. It's and because I'm 81, I'm not going to be around. You know, the world's going to go to hell when I'm gone. I don't think so. <laughs> So I, 
again, I know that that sounds picky, but I, it's important that you take responsibility for the state of mind you're in. Don't give it to me. Mm-hmm. I hear you. Okay. And I think it's a really great point to underline as well for our listeners. And even in your teaching too, you know, it's like uh, our little stupid egos can um, go, oh, it's so nice. Everybody thinks I'm into that. That's not important. It's, it's not, it's not important. It's a, I don't need, I don't need people to give me credit for how they feel in order for me to feel important. I want people to know they know what I know. They already know it. I just want them to trust that. Just try it on for size. See what happens. one of the things that you've said in the past again you know i heard it in my own inimitable way but um that that you have i kind of got the sense that you have such trust in that intelligence coursing through your veins or through your vocal cords as it were that sometimes things come out of your mouth you don't you said you didn't know what would come out of your mouth you were kind of excited because you didn't know what was going to come out of your mouth that's true and and i was thinking that one of my difficulties around listening and I think that probably would have been one of the things that I you know it's kind of nice to hear you say that we're good listeners and I know that Rohini is a really good listener I think this is something that I have been challenged with because I have I have grown up or grown up at the grand old age of 61 (laughs) I'm still growing hopefully but I have grown up believing that I you know on some level I'm not very articulate so one of the ways where I stop listening is I start to panic about my uh, presentation in terms of how I'm going to articulate myself. Even earlier in this conversation, Rohini had shared, and my mind started to go off on a tangent about how, or what am I going to say? I need to say something that's on point, something that's articulate. And that's me not, that's me not listening in the moment. So it's all about trusting that I just need to show up and listen deeply, and I have everything at my disposal to articulate myself in the moment. But you also were watching yourself um, scare yourself. Scare myself. Yeah, that's how, that's really helpful, don't you think? It is. It is very helpful. Because that's how you, you, oh, I was scaring myself. Oh, okay. I'm back home now. (laughs) I didn't think about it. I didn't think about it on those terms, but that's exactly what I was doing. And you've done that four or five times in this talk. Yes. And that is really handy. Yeah, because it helps me become a better listener. That's right. You catch yourself when you're not. Yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah. Whereas before, I would just go on up on a tangent. (laughs) (laughs) Be like, Rahini, are you going to shut up? Because I'm going to forget what I need to say that's smart here. (laughs) Or it's going to be completely irrelevant by the time it gets to me. It's so funny. Angus thinks or has said that I talk a lot. And I'm like, I don't talk a lot. 
<laughs> it's because I'm having to hold on to my script that I developed for myself. <laughs> the best thing is the script can fall away. <laughs> yeah, it's the best thing ever because then you just show up and you just trust in that wisdom coming through and it's just such a good feeling. Yeah, I admit we're hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. It's just funny to watch us. But yeah, it is, it is true that um, I have... And I, and I want to have even more faith in how I'm made than I have now. But even if this is the least I'll ever know, I'm okay. But it it is interesting. I remember the first time I uh, I, I was giving a talk. I, I remember the name of the talk. It's called What's Love Got to Do With It? <laughs> and, I, and I was giving it to um, at a conference for people that, um, do what we do. And um, I had a script or cards. I knew what I wanted to talk about. I walked up onto the stage and I knew I couldn't talk about it that way. Oh, no. What am... <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> so I just started talking. I have no idea what I said. None. But afterwards, um, that was my first kind of noticeable experience. That was probably 35 years ago. My first noticeable experience with, because it was really, really well received. And my daughter was there and I trust my daughter. She anyway assured me that I didn't, I wasn't stupid. So I, I got I got interested in that and in he, hearing what I had to say when my ego or my memory wasn't involved in it. And there got to be more and more times that that happened so that I just, I just trusted it, that that was all, oh, that is a really good place to do my work from and found out that was portable too. And, you know, I could, and and so it, it it's always been since then interesting to to come to whatever I'm doing with like I hardly wait to hear what I have to say because it's like it's like educating yourself at the same time that you're passing on you know you're hearing it for the first time just like I am <laughs> that makes sense mm-hmm. it's like this deal that we have. <laughs> And I can make that deal with anybody, even if they don't know we got a deal. <laughs> I love that self-education piece because it's true when we are listening in that way it's it's fresh new thinking that comes in and that's where where our insights come from ultimately like we surprise ourselves in that way so often in terms of deepening that trust and that knowing of who we are and as best we can we don't want to make that seem magical it's like uh all you're seeing with me is I've just been at this a while. You know, I'm 
um, I've I've had a lot of practice now, trusting that um, I have I have what I need, and it'll show up when I need it in the form I need it for as much as I need it. It's just I'm not personally that smart, so I couldn't arrange things that well. But I'm already made able to do that, and I just trust that. But I also know I'm not made any different than anybody else. I've just, this is what it looks like to have been at it a while. That's all. And sometimes I forget. <laughs> and that doesn't look quite like this. <laughs> Yeah, and we can be at it for a while and still forget, and that's okay, right? It's not a sin. And that, that humility is so important too, isn't it? Just to to realize that we're all cut from the same cloth on that level. We No one has a greater access to it than anybody else. No, we're all drinking from the same well. <laughs> right. I love to hear what you have to say, Mavis, always. I do too, actually. <laughs> yeah, I know, I get that. But, it, but and, and you're a real truth teller, and I think that's why you always touch me so deeply whenever I, whenever I you know, have this opportunity to talk to you. Well, it's a, it's a pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Really grateful. And, and we know that, as you said, that the space that we drop into is within ourselves. You don't create it. And because you've been doing this for a while, it seems to happen pretty consistently when we're in your presence. Let's just say that. Yes. Not You're not required. We, we, it is portable. You expect it. And, and so you let go of everything. That's yeah. portable. It is portable. Yeah. I, love yeah. the port I love the portability factor. Yeah. It's new. And, and it's a great reminder for all of us that this is a space within ourselves. It's not something that comes from outside of us. And we can have an open mind about this space. Like you're saying, we on some level, you've, we've been conditioned to expect it when we're around you perhaps. <laughs> yeah. It makes us more prone to fall into it, but it, it's just a falling into it. It happens all the time, happens you know, every day on some yeah. level, we get into that space. And it's just the feeling of that space is, is helpful feedback as well, because it does feel so good. We want to spend more time there. It's home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ask Angus. <laughs> yeah. well thank you Mavis it's been a real joy and really appreciate all of the um, work that you're doing and sharing in the community and I'll uh, look for that link that you mentioned about the listening series and let our uh, listeners know I can't wait to find it thank you for sharing thanks for having me thank you so much for listening to Rewilding Love if you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know by subscribing on iTunes, and we would love for you to leave a review there. iTunes reviews will steer people to this podcast who need help with their relationships. If you would like to learn more about our work and our online rewilding community, please visit our website, therewilders.org. Thanks for listening. Join us next week.